Our reading is from Habakkuk, chapter 1, starting at verse 12, and that's found on page 940, 940. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with his hooks and catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet and so rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. He is to keep on emptying his net, destroying the nations without mercy. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. hours of organisation. She had me down in her schedule at speaking at exactly 6.41, which is about, about the time. But I've only got until six minutes past seven, so I'm going to have to halve the length of my, my sermon. Anyway, um, do keep your Bibles open at that passage um, from Habakkuk, page 940. Before we dive into this passage, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power to speak into our lives today. We pray, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to our hearts and minds powerfully as we meet here to do business with you this evening. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, a man uh, decides to join a monastery where you're only allowed to say two words every 10 years. After 10 years in the monastery, the abbot summons him and says, well, you've been with us for 10 years. What two words would you like to say? And the monk replies, I'm hungry. So the abbot organizes for an extra ration to be given to him each day. After 20 years, the abbot calls him in again and says, what two words would you like to say? The monk replies with, too cold. So the abbot organises for him to get another blanket. After 30 years, the abbot calls him in again and says, what two words would you like to say? The monk replies with, wanna leave. Now in my book, that ought to be three words, but let's leave that aside. He says, wanna leave. The abbot says, well, I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain since you arrived here. Some of you got it. Complaining. It's what we Brits do, isn't it? Although, actually, I'm told that the French and, and Germans complain more. Uh, Ruth, who's half German, is that true, the Germans complain? No, okay, doesn't think they do. 
A, few, a, a, recent, a recent study suggested that uh, we Brits spend uh, 10,000 minutes a year complaining about things. That's the equivalent almost of an entire week. But sometimes, of course, we do complain in a way that's a bit silly. There was another recent study that uh, asked customer service professionals what were the weirdest customer complaints they'd ever encountered. Here are a few of them. A customer complained to their electricity provider that a power failure resulting from high winds had caused them to miss a vital episode of Coronation Street. A pet shop refunded a customer after they complained that the hamster they'd recently purchased was, quote, neither friendly nor cuddly. Presumably this was the same pet shop that sold the infamous dead parrot, those of you who follow Monty Python. Here's my favourite. A customer phoned to complain following the delivery of a curtain pole. On finding no one home, the driver decided it would be possible to still deliver the pole through the letterbox. When the customer returned, they found their dog pinned to the wall. <laughs> so if the translators of the new international version are to be believed, then the prophet Habakkuk is a bit of a whinger. Now, Habakkuk is an unusual Old Testament prophet in that he doesn't speak God's word to the people, say like Isaiah or Ezekiel, rather he speaks on behalf of the people to God. He's a reverse prophet, if you like. And we see, and we saw in the first chapter of Habakkuk, not uh, one, but two so-called complaints that he makes to God. At least that's what the NIV headings uh, um, say. Verses, and the first complaint is uh, verses 1 to 4. And I think that, Ed, you preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and Habakkuk um, complains that the southern kingdom of Judah, where he lives under this tyrannical king, Jehoiakim, is sinking into spiritual, moral, and political decline. Just look at verse 4. Um, the wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk asks God, why aren't you doing something about it? Why do you make me look at injustice, he cries, verse 3. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? As the saying goes, be careful what you ask for, because God replies to Habakkuk in verses 5 to 11, which I guess you looked at last week, and the answer is not the one that Habakkuk really wants to hear, or the answer that he's expecting. God says he's going to raise up those nasty, godless Babylonians, verse 6, and they will be the agents of God's judgment on Judah. And indeed, that is actually what happens with the Babylonian invasion and the resulting exile. You can almost hear Habakkuk choking on his morning coffee. Hang on, God. What did you say? The Babylonians? But they are even worse. And that's when we get to Habakkuk's so-called com second complaint in our reading this evening, which Sarah read to us, verses 12 to 17. And in these verses, Habakkuk reminds God that he's a holy God. So how on earth can this holy God allow the evil Babylonians to triumph over God's people? It doesn't make any sense at all. Verse 13 is the key verse. Just look at that. Your eyes, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot 
tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk then goes on to use even more colourful language about those cruel, nasty Babylonians catching their enemies in their nets and pulling them up with hooks. Did you see that in verse 15? And indeed, there is some evidence um, that the Babylonians would indeed string their prisoners of war together by putting hooks in their lower lips. Not an image for the squeamish. Sorry about that, but it's how it was. So how does God respond to this second complaint? Well, sadly, I can't say because Ed is preaching on that next Sunday. And I don't want to do any spoilers for you, Ed, so you'll just have to come back next week to hear how God answers this complaint. I'm just left this evening with the whinging prophet. Thank you, Ed, for that particular hospital pass. But actually, I think this passage is more instructive for us today than you might think. First of all, despite the NIV headings, I don't think that these really are complaints. Not in the dead parrot sense of the word. Now, you might say, okay, Jeremy, but doesn't the word complaint appear in our passage? Just look at chapter 2 and verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. But here's the thing. The Hebrew word used for complaint in chapter 2 and verse 1 is actually more commonly translated as argument. And so it could mean Habakkuk's argument to God, that a holy God should not allow evil to prevail, those nasty Babylonians to prevail over Judah. Or it could even mean God's counter-argument to Habakkuk, which I can't tell you about because Ed's going to tell you about that next week. And if we look at the Bible's biggest whinger, Job, admittedly someone who had a lot to complain about, the Hebrew word used for complaint in the book of Job is a completely different word from the one used here in Habakkuk. So my first point this evening is this, that despite the NIV translation and the headings that the NIV translators have given, I don't think Habakkuk is actually complaining to God. He's wrestling with God. He's questioning God. He's challenging God. He's pleading with God to understand why God is doing what he's doing in the world, but he's not complaining to God. Because if you complain to someone, let's say that your recently purchased parrot is now an ex-parrot, or that your dog has been skewered by a curtain pole delivered through a letterbox, then what you're saying is that they, the person that you are complaining to, have done something wrong. That they've done you an injustice. But we will see in Habakkuk's so-called complaint, that his belief in God's justice and his faithfulness are completely unshaken. So if I were an NIV translator, I would have changed the headings here in Habakkuk chapter 1. These are honest, heartfelt questions, not grumpy complaints. Verse 2, how long, Lord... Must I call for help, but you do not listen? 
Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Verse 3. And then into our passage this morning. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? Why, why are the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Verse 13. These are questions. Questions. Not complaints. Why God? It's a question we ask often ourselves, isn't it? Why God do you allow suffering and pain in the world? Why are innocent children dying in famine in Yemen and the Horn of Africa? Why is the terrible war in Ukraine continuing when so many of us have prayed for a just peace and when this Russian aggression is so manifestly evil? Why, God, I have asked, did you allow my son, Sam, to die when he was just 27 years old and had been married for barely three months? Why was my grandson, Owen Samuel, born with spina bifida? Why, God? But here's the thing. Asking difficult questions of God is a very biblical thing to do. Habakkuk does it, as we see. Job does it, as we know. Moses and Elijah did it. King David does it in the Psalms. Psalm 10, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And Habakkuk, well, he tells us how to do it. He gives us, here in this passage here, a short cut out and keep guide to asking tough questions of God. As I say, I don't think that they really are complaints, but if we just go with the translators of the NIV, then what we have here uh, uh, in Habakkuk chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 is, if you like, a biblical complaints policy. How to complain to God in the right way. And this biblical complaints policy very simple one, very easy to understand. It has just three points, and they're all in this passage. Point one, remind yourself who God is. Remind yourself who God is. Because it puts your complaint, your question, into its proper context. And that's what Habakkuk does here in uh, verses 12 to 13 where Habakkuk begins his questioning of God with, by making at least five observations about God's nature, about who God is. And I wonder if you notice them all. First of all, God is Lord. It's the very first word of our passage, chapter 1 and verse 12. Lord, capital letters. Now, as you know, when the Lord is described in this way in the Bible with capital letters, it's another word for Yahweh. The personal God who is the great sovereign I am. The God who entered into a covenant relationship with Israel that would bring blessing not only on Israel but on the entire world. This is the Lord, capital letters, God, a God who delivers. Two, God is everlasting. Do you see that? It's the first part of 12. Are you not from everlasting? It echoes what the psalmist says in Psalm 90. Before the mountains were born or you were brought forth, the whole world 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is everlasting. He's eternal. Three, God is holy. And he's not only holy, but did you see this in verse, again, verse 12? He is my God. My holy one. The word for God used here is not Yahweh, but Elohim. Mighty or supreme one. A God of power, immense power. And he's not a remote God, someone out there, up there, far away. But he is my God, my personal God. Someone who wants a relationship with me. Someone who cares for me. And he's holy, which is why he cannot lie. He cannot do evil. He cannot break his covenant promises. As it says in verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. For God is just. He has, in his sovereign wisdom, appointed the Babylonians to execute judgment on Israel. We saw that earlier. And he can do this because he's the supreme judge. As it says in Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 22, the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. God is just. And then five, the end of verse 12. God is our rock. God is stable. He is totally reliable. Someone we can depend on at all times. Even when things aren't quite working out as we would like. So before Habakkuk even starts questioning God, he acknowledges who God is. He is Yahweh, the sovereign Lord. He is eternal. He is everlasting. He is pure. He is holy. But not only that, he is my God, my holy God. And he is the rock upon whom we can depend completely. This is the God whom Habakkuk is quizzing. And it means that while Habakkuk sometimes strays into doubt, as we all do from time to time, even clergy stray into doubt from time to time. But Habakkuk strays into doubt, but he never strays into unbelief. It's a very different thing. Doubting why God has allowed something to happen is human. Doubting who God is what his very nature is, is something very different. It's potentially fatal. Elsewhere in the Bible, there are plenty of examples of people who were confused and questioning towards God. People who doubted, but they never strayed into unbelief. Think of Mary questioning the, able, the angel in Luke chapter 1. Or Ananias, confused about Saul in Acts chapter 9. When my son Sam died, I questioned God. Of course I did. It made no sense for him to die so young. Psalm 88, that great psalm of anguish which has no answer from God in it became my go-to psalm in those early days you have put me in the lowest pit 
in the darkest depths. But in a strange way, as I wrestled with God, and I did wrestle with him, I became even more aware of God's love for me. God's love for Sam. And the image that kept on coming to me was the image of the cross of Calvary. The place where God sent his son to die. So that both Sam and I, as followers of Jesus, might have eternal life. The very act that we will remember as we come to the Lord's table later. In a strange way, I was able to put Sam's death into some kind of cosmic context. It didn't make it any easier to understand, but I found solace in knowing who God was and what he had done for me through Christ. So this is point one in the Bible complaints policy. Remind yourself who God is. And point two is very simple. Be honest with God. Tell him what you really think. How you really feel. And let's face it, we might as well be honest because he knows what we're thinking anyway. Psalm 139, verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And here's the thing. God is big enough to cope with our honesty and with our candor. And here, Habakkuk is painfully honest in his exchange with God. He show, shares how appalled he is at the prospect of these wicked, cruel Babylonians being agents of God's justice on Judah. Hence his vivid language about leaderless fish in the sea being caught up in the Babylonian dragnets, verses 14 to 15. And how the Babylonians destroy nations without mercy in verse 17. And the Bible has a word for this kind of uh, honesty with God. It's called lament. And the Psalms are full of lament. 150 Psalms, 40% of them are Psalms of lament. There are more Psalms of lament than there are Psalms of praise, of thanksgiving, or wisdom. And Psalm 13 is one of the best known. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David was honest with God. Habakkuk was honest with God. Job was honest with God. We too can be, must be, deeply honest with God. He can cope with it. So, point one in the Bible's complaints policy, remind yourself who God is. Point two, be honest with God. Lament if you need to. And point three, it's actually very simple again. Just wait patiently for God to answer. Because that is what Habakkuk does. Look at chapter two and verse one again. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. As someone once said, it's not enough just to pray, to think, to commit, to lament, to cast our burden on the Lord. We must also wait on him through more prayer, through silent meditation through studying his word, 
because God will answer. It may not be the answer that we want or we expect, but it is God's answer. And his answer will be the one that is best for us in the long run. And how do we know that? Because we go back to point one in our biblical complaints policy. We know who God is. We know he is sovereign, he is everlasting, he is holy, he is just, he is our rock. He is my God. If we want the perfect example of anguished questioning of God, we actually need only look at Jesus himself. Think Gethsemane, where Jesus cried out that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And Jesus asked God for the cup to be taken from him. This wasn't a complaint. It was simply the son being honest with the father. And then, of course, on the cross, Jesus cried out, invoking Psalm 22, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not a complaint. It's a questioning cry from the heart. And God answered that cry by raising his son from the dead three days later. And Jesus is not just our model, he is also the reason, despite our sin and our rebellion, why and how we can come to God, the Father, with our questions, with our anguish, with our lament in complete confidence. Because Jesus too is our Lord, our Saviour, our Holy One, our Rock. He is the guarantor of our biblical complaints policy. And also its ultimate answer. So when you feel anguish, when you're struggling with the question, why God? Remember Habakkuk. Remember his biblical complaints policy. Remind yourself first who God is. Be honest with God. Tell him how you really feel. And wait for him. Wait for his answer. Because, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring before you those times when we ourselves have asked, why God? How long God? When God? And we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us the strength to continue asking those questions as any child would ask a father. But Lord, we thank you for Habakkuk's example of rooting his questions in who you are, our rock, our holy one, our Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would always continue to know who you are and remind ourselves of that day by day. And then we will be honest with you and wait upon you for the answer. For you are a God who loves us and cares for us. 
and who sent your son Jesus to die for us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bang on time. <laughs>